Welcome, everybody, to Podcasts and Players, the only show where you get to hear me and this particular guest talking in the same space. Uh, if that's something that you are into, then you're in the right place. This guest is someone who I think needs no introduction, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't do that, so we're going to do that. He is the DM for the infamous Fool's Gold campaign. He is a successful businessman and also uh, a very nice guy and a new Twitch streamer as well. Please give it up for Felix. Hey, how's it going? That was one hell of an introduction. Thank you. I'm I'm flattered. <laughs> yeah, that was all right off the cuff. That was all just from the top of my brain. And there's more about you. We're only scratching the surface. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> So how uh, we were about to get into the pleasantries, and then I was like, no, 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 save it for the podcast, save it for the podcast. So uh, let's do that now. How how are you doing, Felix? How's your Saturday? I'm I'm doing quite well. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, it's a it's a nice lazy day. Uh, this is really my my highlight of the day. Otherwise, I'm going to be a nice lazy potato today. But uh, yeah, it was funny. I was trying to start the pleasantries with Shane. He was like, no, save it. <laughs> we're not doing this. Right I wasn't now. that. I wasn't that harsh. I was just like, wait a minute. This could be good. <laughs> For the for the content, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's been a nice Saturday. I mean, how how about yourself? How's it been going? Uh, well, I, I did mention I, I woke up a little late today because mm -hmm. yesterday wasn't very productive. Um, hopefully by the time this airs, I will be finished with a commission that I've been working on. It's been taking a little while. I'm actually very close to finish. I got like most of it done. Nice. Um, yeah. So that's feeling pretty good. But this morning, uh, I'm I'm starting a Curse of Strahd campaign mm -hmm. uh, for some other people who I've also had on the podcast. People that uh, some of my listeners might recognize, like uh, Ink, Eldritch Sugar, Vitamin Dieter, Fell the Leb, uh, Tabaxi Cafe. Um, we are going to be doing a Curse of Strahd game. And as y'all know, I love Curse of Strahd. <laughs> um, but I wanted to do some tweaks, and so I've got some homebrew rules that I've been, like, cooking up. I'm excited uh, to see that. Yeah, we could... I'm gonna... So, I, typically my formula is I ask a bunch of questions about my guests, but let's shake it up today. Let's start with this, and then we can kind of get into the more about you stuff after, if that's okay. Is all right. that all right? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, so, he, let's let's just start with... Here's what I, I decided to do. I'm actually, so this is a momentous occasion because I'm getting into DMing after being a player for so long. All my other podcasts, I keep talking about how, oh, I'm, I'm spoiled because I'm just a player all the time. And I, you know, the game kind of bores me now. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I need to get off my little high horse and, uh, and get back into the driver's seat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think this is going to be good for me as a person <laughs> to just have to deal with the shenanigans of other players and be a DM for a bit. Totally. Um, yeah, I got got to suffer like the rest of us. Don't do, I have to say I haven't been DMing for for quite a few months now, which is sad. 
That's been. A I nice was gonna break. say it must feel like a nice reprieve, but at the same time, it, it's. I would. Yeah. I would feel sad too. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It's like ah, oh, this is a nice break, and then after one week, it's like, I miss D and D. This is enough. No more break. D- didn't take long. No. <laughs> yeah, like I play, or I I am playing right now in five games. Holy shit. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, one's Ghost of Salt Marsh. One is Mythical Odysseys of Theros. Uh, one is a homebrew game run by Captain Cheeky called uh, Antumbra Echoes of the Eclipse, which you can see on Mondays. It's a stream game. Woo. I'm in another stream game. It's a Pathfinder uh, second edition game called um, uh, Here's a Shadow Valley, I think. It was it was the fall of Plaguestone, but that was the adventure path. We finished that, and then we kind of have a base that we renamed Shadow Valley. So uh, that's on Fridays on the Bard's Playhouse that people can check out. I'm definitely going to go check it out. And the last game I play is with uh, Puff and Forest, actually, who's the DM. It's a Star Wars 5e game, uh, and we just play that on Roll20, and that's wrapping up pretty soon. So that nice. one's really fun. 5e uh, Star Wars. That sounds awesome, yeah. What a good lineup. You could, man, that's the full week of D&D. I love it. I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to kind of close the book on a couple of mm. these, though, you know, and like get some of my time back and then use that time to sort of prepare for like DMing this game, which Curse of Strahd I love, but I also want to tweak because there are things as, as all it's such a great standalone campaign. There are still some things I think could be modified. And with the new Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft that came out and the fact that I've been kind of amassing. Um, oh, I also have Grim Hollow too, just because everyone was advertising that. I'm like, this is right up my alley, and it's amazing, an amazing book. Um, I think it's by uh, who? Ghostfire Game? Yeah, uh-huh. Ghostfire Gaming. I uh, did Grim Hollow. Um, combining elements of like these different books and some of the homebrew that I've sort of amassed over the years, I feel like I can make a really kick-ass Curse of Strahd game. I'm really excited for it. I think you can do it, yeah. I mean, Curse of Strahd is awesome, but I think D&D shines when you start adding the homebrew spice to it. Yeah, and it also means that, uh, not that I suspect that my players would do this, but it means that they can't really look up anything necessarily, because I'm going to go by the book for a lot of stuff, but off the rails for a lot of other stuff. <laughs> so it's like you never know what's going to be by the book or not. Yeah, no, that's, that's the good stuff. Got to keep players on their toes. For sure. Um, let me let, I, I don't want to brag and plug myself too much. So I'm just going to dive into like what I'm doing for this game. Uh, for the start of character creation, I decided to do point by, mm-hmm. but I don't care for regular point by. It's a little too averagey, mm-hmm. kind of like the standard array is. I like there to be I like people to have a bit of freedom. Mm-hmm. Rolling is a bit too chaotic. If I was doing a, a traditional Pathfinder like game where it's it's more game than story then rolling for stats is a little bit easier mm-hmm. honestly i don't even mind that i'm just kind of trying i'm trying to justify the point by because what i ended up doing was instead of 27 points i raised it to 30 points mm-hmm. instead of raising your scores to a max of 15 for nine points you can actually go one point further to a max of 16 for 12 points yeah all right and going to, you can also if you need to get a few points back Eight is low, but you can go down to seven or even six to get one point back each and make yourself really dumb or really weak or really frail, however you want to <laughs> do that. It makes the characters a lot more interesting and could give you the points you need to 
sort of. I know it's min-maxing, but like, if it's for the purposes of a story, it can be really good. And it means that I, as a DM, have power over your weakest attributes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need that ammunition. I mean, it's it's yes. nice to set the point system up that way, because then, in a way, every player is kind of mid-maxing. So then it's not a problem. It's actually become something really interesting. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this, I just, I find, I make a lot of characters. As a player character, I, like, spend time making characters and then realizing with the regular point by that I can't quite reach what I want to reach. Like, basically, all of my ability score increases get used up throughout, like, and then... I can't have any feats, really. Like, there's not a lot of space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by giving people the option to get their the stats they need to be higher higher from the get-go, they can take more feats and, and um, you know, customize their character a little bit. On that note, actually, uh, we're starting at level two, and everyone gets a bonus feat uh, right out the gate. So if you were to be a, a variant human, you'd get two feats. That's pretty insane. Yeah. Wow. Um, right. Yeah. And you're starting at level two, which is nice. So a lot of people who <coughs> want to do the multi-classing can do that right away. Um, and, uh, oh, and everyone starts with their starting equipment um, as well as they can either have one common magic item mm-hmm. or one advanced or black powder weapon from the Grim Hollow Guide. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. So you can have a gun. You can just start with a gun if you want. It's fine. But sure, you can't have guns in d and I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, these yeah. are, uh, I like the black powder rules. They're very, um, I feel like they're very balanced. And the, the benefits of, they have properties that other weapons don't have. So the benefits of them are pretty great for people who don't have like some sort of special thing. They can just have a gun that just works, you know. Yeah. No, black powder is fine. Um, it belongs in games, in my opinion. When, it, when they. Yeah, uh, as. I, yeah. So sorry, I was gonna say like black powder itself was invented during the medieval age. It's you know the weapons are just the new ways of using it. So it's like, you know, it's not maybe not common. They could be like maybe known and heard about, and the people who have them, it's like these are expensive, sort of cutting edge technology, and surely they will spread as time goes on. But for now, it's like you've got this unique, cool weapon. Mm-hmm. I take the same approach in my games. Like, yeah, black powder weapons, like, they're like, it's like the early adopters might shell out the big bucks to have one of these things, but it's certainly not in everybody's repertoire yet. Yeah, it's like Google Glass. Yeah. Right? Early adopters uh, using it in Los Angeles all over the place. And then, <laughs> you know, it's either going to catch or doesn't. For that, I guess it didn't really catch, but. Uh... <laughs> With that, I'm now picturing just other D&D characters being snobs about it. It's like, oh black powder weapons so like (laughs) that's uh, so 10 years ago geez (laughs) warning i'm about to get into spoilery territory for the setting of curse of strahd and ravenloft if that is upsetting to you and you don't want your precious little baby ears to hear this you can skip to the time code that's on the screen now yeah also curse of strahd is cool for those who don't know um this is a bit spoilery, maybe, for people who are like, I don't want to know anything about it. You probably shouldn't be listening because I'm talking about the setting. Curse of Strahd is an adaption, or adaptation rather, of uh, the Ravenloft adventure path that was released for Advanced Dun- Dungeons & Dragons, I believe, back in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. And it spawned its own setting of Ravenloft, where Barovia was like the realm, but then Ravenloft became like the code name for 
the domains of dread, which are all of these sort of demi planes that are like isolated pocket dimensions of uh, with dark lords in them, essentially. So like Barovia is the one that has Strahd, but the setting of Ravenloft has a bunch of others. There's um, Darkon, which is a cool name for a, a plane, and that one has uh, Azalus Rex or something, who's like this lich Whoa. who like is a he. He wasn't a Dark Lord at first. He was like a wizard that was working for Strahd, then became a lich. They had a falling out and went to war. He lost their battle and like ran away into the mist and Darkon was created for him and he became a Dark Lord. And now him and Strahd wage this sort of long term or like long range warfare where they send their minions into each other's lands, but they themselves can't pass through, which is kind of cool. That is Um, cool. Yeah. And like that's. That's just one of the other. There's so many, and the book has like a bunch of them, um, which is really cool. Uh, the the new one, the Raven uh, Van Richten's Guide. So that's kind of the idea, right? And that also means, uh, and it's kind of confirmed in both the uh, Curse of Strahd book and Van Richten's Guide that the other material planes, like Eberron and Spelljammer and all those places, those are also they exist too, and people can come from those planes as well all the crossovers yes yes so anyway i don't want to i don't want to go off too much of that i i I got you here because i wanted to ask you about these house rules i made and get your opinion you've played fifth edition a little bit right yeah i am currently in a 5e campaign and i've i think i've dm'd two small ones for it but i'm still i'd still consider myself a bit of a 5e baby that's fair I've got a few rules that you might be familiar with um, then because a lot of these are pulled straight from Pathfinder 1E or um, 3.5 in this case. Yes, um, good. But the uh, first rule is strength and encumbrance. I'm not going to be too picky about encumbrance, but I'm going to be checking everybody so often, trusting that they're keeping track of their carrying capacity because I want to use encumbrance. Um, mm. So basically, if someone wants to dump strength, they better be careful. Is all. You yeah. Know? I want it to matter. Strength is a lot of times a dump stat for many. I want to be able to punish people for dumping strength. If that's what they want to do, I'm not going to just make them make lots of athletics checks all the time because that gets a little old. I want there to be other ways that I can kind of give them some sort of thing. They could, and, and like, that's not even the worst thing you can do. Like, you can get a mount or something and put your stuff on a pack mule if you really want to or have someone else carry it or get mm-hmm. get a bag of holding at some point, you know? Like, yeah. There are ways you can get around that. I just want to make sure that if someone's going to be carrying heavy shit, that they better be ready, you know, to, yeah. to have their speed slowed and all that good stuff. So it's, it's funny. So this is where my like, hey, I might still be a bit of a 5e baby kind of comes out because my first instinct is like, wait, 5e doesn't have that? No, it, <laughs> that's a homebrew So thing? wait, wait, wait. <laughs> it does have encumbrance, but it's almost like a variant rule where like, Many DMs just don't pay attention or don't care. And it's not I mean, that... that's fair enough. It's the same with, like, when people uh, have uh, ranged ammunition and they're just like, you always have enough. They, like, just don't want to keep track. I understand that for the simplicity of it. And if you're just trying to get through yeah. the session, like, I get it. Since this is mm-hmm. a horror game, like a survival horror, I want to make sure that people are managing their resources. I want that to be kind of part of the game. 
Oh, totally. That gritty, like, okay, count your arrows, count your yeah. spell components and whatnot. I'm yeah, also totally. very forgiving about a lot of the stuff. Like, we have a wizard, and this person, when they played wizards, they've had access to the whole wizard uh, spell list in their spell book. Like, they've never had to add spells to their spell book because their homebrew games, they never do that. I'm like, that's broken as hell. Like, that is... Like, wizards have the best spell lists in the game, I think. Maybe maybe with the exception of, like, clerics. Um, but, like, by far, they have the most spells available. You just having access to everything kind of almost defeats the point, even roleplay-wise, of a wizard searching for arcana and, like, adding spells to the book. It also makes the savant ability, the second-level ability of most subclasses, like, non... Like, there's no point, because if you're never going to add spells to your book, then what's the point of having that ability, you know? Mm. Um. So I. Yeah, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say in that regard, uh, it's kind of like I'm. I'm absolutely guilty of that in my games. It's like, yeah, <laughs> here's the entire spell list. Go knock yourself out. You know, Cheeky does something where he's like, "Look, I'm not gonna role play you looking for individual scrolls and stuff. There is a vendor in town who has every spell you could ever want from levels one to two that you can just add as long as you pay the the gold cost for it." And I'm like, that's fair. oh, that's nice, because that means I, as long as I got the gold, I can add what I need, and it's all available. To get third or higher, we have to, like, access rarer, like a rare spell book that has everything in it, essentially. So, like, mm-hmm. that's, like, a quest option for us. Um, yeah. And, um, I mean, I guess I also do, like, I do it because none of my players care for that. But if I have someone who's like, no, I really want to, like, play, like, a wizard, like, full out. I want to do the full deep wizard experience. I want to search for my spells and not. I would absolutely adjust that rule and say, okay, let, let's let dive into this. And I would take a similar approach like Cheeky does. Yeah. To say, here, like, you have these low-level spells readily available, but you want something higher. Well, let's make a little mini quest out of it. Yeah, my player's worry was that, well, if I... And if I have to pay all this money to put all these spells in and like there's no guarantee I'm going to find them, I had to like stop them there. I'm like, look, if you choose to play a wizard, I will adjust what happens in the game to not be so unforgiving to to you. Right. Mm-hmm. I played wizards where the DMs just forgot that I have to add spells to my book and just never gave me anything. I played that. <sighs> that sucks. I would not put that on you because I like wizards. I would allow you to find spell books and scrolls and things. And... We even uh, worked something out where we basically have the gold costs across the board to add spells. So now, Savant halves it again, so you're paying a quarter of what you would normally pay. But, like, every, everything else is halved, just straight up. Mm-hmm. Uh, availability is still kind of up in the air, but at least the gold cost is going to, like, eat all of their gold away, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good idea. So, there's that. The second thing was intelligence proficiencies, because if you remember in 3.5... Uh, the higher intelligence you have, the more skills you can get. Yep. Um, so in this, I wanted to reward people for having a higher intelligence, even if they are not a wizard, right? Because like no one puts their intelligence higher if they're not an intelligence-based class. So I wanted to give people the option. If they went up to 13 intelligence, they can get an extra uh, proficiency in either a lore skill, like religion, arcana, uh, nature or history, uh, a language of their choice, a gaming set, an instrument, a toolkit, or artisan's tools based on either one more for 13, two more for 17, and if they max it out, they get three more. And these um, these scores uh, work retroactively. So like if, you, if you're at 12 intelligence, 
and you have to do an ability score increase and you have like an extra point, you're like, I'll just put an intelligence. You get a skill in one of these things or a proficiency. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That way it's rewarded for having good intelligence. I feel like. And it makes perfect sense. Like, if you are intelligent, you should have these skills. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and then imagine an arcane trickster rogue with this variant rule. Like, crazy good, mm. you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. Oh, yeah. I, th I think that one's pretty... I think, because these are from 3.5, I figured you'd be, like, on board with that. Flanking I brought back, but because of bounded accuracy, I made it instead of advantage or anything crazy thing like that it's just a plus one to attacks on a foe that you're threatening with a melee weapon as long as an ally is also threatening them with a melee weapon from the opposite side right it's a mm -hmm. specific rule but it's one i can easily throw on just like give yourself a plus one and it applies against the party as well so i can use it against them aha yeah no that's good balance that that's balanced straight up and it's it's a shame that five he did away with a lot of like you know, like, the, yeah, you get like a plus one here or minus two over here and a plus three over there. I think it was actually a really useful tool to balance combat. I, so I'm glad you're bringing that back into your games. Yeah. And, and a plus one isn't going to break anything, you know, like that's. Yeah, it can it can definitely turn the tides for bounded accuracy, but it's not going to destroy the balance of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun because then you can think about tactics in battle. And I, I think I'm going to be using roll 20 for this. So I'm like excited for that too <laughs> um okay yeah good stuff Oof, i'll try to blow through the, the there's four more rules and then i'll be done talking about this homebrew game i'm doing that i'm obviously very excited for <laughs> lay them on me we got the help action which is always the thing you can do um but i'm restricting it to you can only give someone the help action if you're proficient with the skill check involved unless the help offered is something extremely simple like a general ability check so if it's like to hold the door, right? I want to give them the help action. Well, yeah, obviously you can do that even if you're a wizard. Like you might, you know, your uh, action's going to be enough to give advantage to the person who's doing most of the legwork. But like if, if someone's like, I want to recall knowledge on the trolls and the, the rogue who's lived in a city their whole life is like, oh, I want to give the help action. Like, well, do you have proficiency in nature? They're like, no, it's like, well, no, you can't do that because you don't know anything about trolls. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Just to kind of I want people to use the help action. I just don't want them to abuse it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. It's like, well, it's, and again, it's thinking about really the character. You know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Play to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Slower healing. <laughs> I'm oh. doing this thing with my hands like. Like an evil dungeon master would. <laughs> yes. So, when I made the move from Pathfinder 1st Edition to 5th Edition Dungeons & Dragons, which, again, Pathfinder's basically 3.5, so 3.5 to 5th Edition. One of my biggest gripes that I kind of just didn't really care that much about after a while was that after a long rest, you get all your hit points back. I thought that was crazy. It's such a jarring leap to go from Pathfinder where you can take uh, like a full day's, like a 24-hour rest to like uh, get like an expanded healing thing. People can attend to your wounds while you're resting to give you more hit points back. Like there were things, there was a system to get your hit points back that made more sense in that system for like realism purposes, quote unquote. Um, mm -hmm. And for simplicity, 5th edition did away with that to get right so you can get right back to adventuring. And for the sake of the game, I understand why they did that. 
And even though it was sort yeah. of like it irked me at first, I was like, what? Uh, I got I got over it. You know, I was like, all right, well, I guess mm-hmm. this is fine. Um, This is a survival horror game. And I think that we've gotten a little too complacent with this fast healing system that D&D has given us. And so if I'm going to be managing, if we're going to be managing resources and stuff, I want to slow the healing down. So the way that I did this uh, for fifth edition, because they have the short and the long rest, which are different. It's like a completely different mechanic than what 3.5 had. Right. Yeah. Um, in order to heal on either of these rests, you spend a hit die. Now, if you're doing a short rest, you spend up to your level divided by three hit die during that rest. No more. Which means if you're level two, like they are, the minimum you can spend is one hit die. They are not going to be able to spend two hit die on a short rest until they get to level six. Mm, yeah. So the idea is obviously like you're only resting an hour. You're going to get a, a few hit points back for as you're like catching your breath, spending a hit die, but you are limited by how powerful you are. Right. Yeah. Um, there's no limit on a long rest, though. If you are doing a long rest, you could spend all your hit time, maybe get all your hit points back. Right. But mm-hmm. if you run out before uh, your long rest or any rest anyway, um, you can't heal via resting. So even if you rest, if you're out of hit die, you just can't. Resting isn't going to heal you, essentially. Oh, so when do you get your hit die back then? Half rounded up of your hit die replenished by the end of a long rest. So once you complete a long rest, you can then add half rounded up of your hit die back. Okay. And you can follow up consecutive rests together if you need to. So let's say one long rest isn't cutting it. Maybe you need more than eight hours to get back on your feet after you broke a leg or some shit like that, right? Yeah. Sure. Chain them together if you have to. If you're in a safe space like a town. Like, I'm essentially, I want it so that injuries uh, feel like they stick with you a little bit longer. And the fact that they have a uh, a cleric in the group, that person's going to be like the clutch person. They're going to be like a god in this land, you know, healing people who it would normally take them like a week to heal an injury. Uh, snap your fingers, have five hit points. That's all my hit points. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. You know? oh, I really love that. That's I might adopt that for my games, to be honest, because it's just it's just a touch more realistic without being a slog. I really like that. You hear that, folks? Felix approved of my slow healing mechanic. <laughs> oh god the felix approved stamp on it i'm sorry for everybody who's gonna adopt this and say felix I'm why a, i'm gonna put a gold seal of approval on this on uh, the screen of this like oh, <laughs> oh. Uh. so here's my other two ones this also applies to the um like healing type of thing right so we've got slower healing so already this game has some the homebrew rules that are going to make things a little bit you know, potentially more difficult for some, easier for others. I mean, if you've got, if you're like a fighter who uses uh, flanking, right? Getting that plus one on attacks and, and being tactical might help. Hey, and if you put some stuff into intelligence, getting those extra skills, that could be super helpful. That could come in clutch. Here's something that's going to maybe hurt. Lingering mm-hmm. injuries. Yes, I was hoping you're going to say that next. It, all right, though, here's, here's how I, I've done it. If you are reduced to zero hit points and fall unconscious due to a critical hit or... Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Let me, let me back up. We know that that's coming, but let me, let's back up to the one before it because uh, there's context here that I, I, have to, I have to give. So we know okay. lingering injuries is going to be a thing. I'll explain that in a second. But what's also a thing is the staggered condition. Mm. 
So in Pathfinder, and I don't know if they had this 3.5, but sometimes if you were brought to zero hit points exactly, you could still move about and act in combat. But you had a bunch of penalties put on you. And if you did anything that exerted yourself too much, you would go back to dying. Yeah. Yeah, it was a 3.5 thing for sure. Mm -hmm. I like this because I don't think it makes a lot of sense that if you get brought to zero, that you just immediately are unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why can't you be dying and conscious while dying? I feel like that should be a thing. Yeah, and it makes for those good, like, you know, what are your last words, character yes, moments. Yes, yes, we never get to have those moments unless, like, the DM's cool, like, what do you say as you die, <laughs> you know? like Yeah. <laughs> um, so the stagger condition, the way it works is if you are brought through damage or whatever, uh, yeah, through damage, I should say, uh, to zero hit points exactly, or to a negative amount that is equal to or less than your constitution modifier. So basically you have like a little buffer window underneath the zero equal to your con mod. Then you're not unconscious and you're not dying. Instead, you get the staggered condition. And while staggered, your speed is halved. Your attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws are all going to be made with disadvantage. Attack rolls against you are going to be made with advantage. Hmm. And if you make an attack, cast a spell, or use the dash or dodge actions, and if your hit point or if your hit points remain at zero by the end of that turn, you fall unconscious and are dying, like normal. Yeah. Also, any strenuous movement like jumping, swimming, or climbing might also trigger the dying conditions. So, like, if you, like, let's say you get hit with damage, you go to zero exactly, you're staggered, but you're swimming in the water, right? If you're doing a, like, full breaststroke through the water or, like, butterfly... You're going to die. Like, you're not going to be able to, like, get through that without going into dying condition, right? But if you're, like, doing a little a little doggy paddle as you're just sort of, like, or, like, you're holding on to some floating, like, log and just using your legs to sort of lazily kick yourself to shore, hey, that might be all right, right? It's a DM's mm -hmm. discretion thing, but it's, like, if you just, if you're doing too much, that's going to open up wounds or whatever, you lose too much blood, you're just going to pass out. Yeah, but I like that it, like the rule still allows for it to happen. You still have the option that you are able to cast the spell because it makes for those good moments of just like, I'm going to throw you like one last help and then I'm dead now. <laughs> yeah, and then you're dying. Exactly. Or you can, yeah. um, you can also, uh, he if you're a healer or if you have healing magic, you can heal yourself. And it, like, I, like I worded it, if your HP remains at zero by the end of the turn, you fall unconscious dying. So basically, if you heal yourself and you got positive hit points you're no longer staggered and you're not going to be dying even though you use an action to cast a spell or whatever like you're fine yeah there's there's some other stuff uh, that that could apply to too that i'm excited to see all right last thing and i swear to god i'll let you talk i'm so sorry <laughs> no it's good i like this <laughs> i just oh i've been meaning to like bounce these ideas off of somebody but the last one is uh, i i bounced them off of my players and they seem to be all right with it but like another another person who's like not involved is like a dm the lingering injuries are if you're hit, to, you're hit, you fall to zero hit points and unconscious due to either a critical hit or you took damage equal to half your hit point maximum uh, or more from one source, whether you fall unconscious or not. Basically, if someone deals a huge blow to you that deals half your hit point maximum from one source, then you got to make a DC 30 minus your character level constitution saving throw. So, okay. at level 2, the DC is 28. At level 9, the DC is 21. Right? So, mm -hmm. like, DC lowers the more powerful you get, the more you're able to withstand and shrug off 
these potentially deadly lingering injuries, right? Because mm-hmm. you become more experienced and powerful as an adventurer. It's a con save, too. So if you succeed, you play as normal, nothing happens, no lingering injury. So better constitution means you're not going to have as many of these. But if you fail and are conscious, um, for example, if you took half your hit point maximum of damage, but you didn't fall unconscious, you uh, and you failed your con save, you're stunned until the end of your next turn, reeling from the pain of the injury. No, you don't have to. You're just stunned, right? Yeah. But if you had fallen unconscious and fail your constitution saving throw, you gain a lingering injury rolled uh, on uh, rolled on a table, essentially. So I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to send you the link. Yeah, send it to me. This is cool because it's lingering injuries by damage type. Oh, good. Yeah, right? And you roll on the table. So... Let's say, let's just look at bludgeoning force. We'll keep it simple, right? All right. Uh, if you roll a 17 or through a 20, you get a broken nose. Your broken nose is painful, but doesn't have any adverse effect. Any magical healing mends your nose, although it may heal crooked if it is crooked when the healing is applied. That's it. Sure. It's a, a flavor thing only if you roll high on the d20. A 14 through a 16 gets you severe bruising. You suffer severe bruising over an extensive portion of your anatomy. Anytime you suffer bludgeoning or force damage, you suffer an additional point of that damage. The bruising heals if you receive magical healing. Alternatively, it heals on its own in, in two weeks, it says. I might, I might change that. Um, based, basically, anything that says it heals in this amount of time, I might just change that to a shorter amount of time for the sake of the game. But yeah. on the bottom of the list for bludgeoning force, it says uh, if you roll in that one, it's a brain injury. You have suffered a brain injury. You have disadvantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma checks, as well as intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saves. If you fail a saving throw against bludgeoning damage, force damage, or psychic damage, you are also stunned until the end of your next turn. Magic oh. such as the regenerate spell can restore your uh, your full brain function, right? Oof. So, yeah, pretty pretty nasty. You can recover from it, but it's a bad penalty and can can make things the stakes can get high right if, yeah. if, if people are accruing a lot of these but luckily again they got a cleric on the team so a lot of the stuff they're going to be able to repair without needing to worry about it it's going to be those low rolls that are going to be really scary you know mm-hmm. god i mean this this is a yoink <laughs> taking this using it <laughs> absolutely yeah. this is great uh, i mean uh, and and plus, everyone can read it. I, I, I've i given all these resources I've given to my player, said, this is what you have to expect in this game. Don't feel like I'm coming at you, like, T-boning you, you know, like, and coming at you from the side like you didn't expect this at, like, this is a part of the thing. You know, I don't want people to feel like I'm being unfair or anything. This is going to be, this is like the sort of scary element of adventuring. Like, you could die. And I also <laughs> told people, like, look, also maybe have another character idea like on the back burner that you're that you can go with if something if the worst were to happen because every character needs a sibling damn it (laughs) i just don't want to like i get very attached to my characters and i understand how bad it can feel when your character dies and i don't want to kill people flippantly Mm -hmm. right i want people to be able to fulfill the desires they have for their character and like tell a compelling narrative with that character before something like death were to occur. But sometimes you roll three nat ones in a row or something, you know, like yeah, stuff happens and I can't control the will of the dice. So 
I just want people to be aware that this is going to make things a little harder and that they should be ready for the worst in case it is to happen, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's nice to, to just kind of tell your players like, hey, this is what you're in for. So make sure you're cool with this before we start. But oh, these rules are really nice. I like oh, them. Man, this feels so nice to hear. Anyway, I'm sorry, viewers. I hope I helped you out with this, too. I know you're really curious about Felix and you want to know more about him and not me talking this whole time. So I'm going to shut up for a bit <laughs> and I'm going to uh, go to what I usually do. I'm going to ask you some questions now, Felix, if that's okay. All right. Yeah. Put on the spot. Let's go. Whew. Also, by the way, do you mind if we talk for more than an hour? Uh, because we're already like 40 minutes in almost. Th this so is the only thing on my schedule all day. So I've got time. Awesome. Awesome. I think everyone's going to love that. Uh, and also, I just, I feel still a little guilty. No, 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 uh, it's fine. So. Like, this is fun. I, I love nerding out about D&D &D and DMing stuff. Like, it, it's totally fine. And Fuck I've got yeah. some sweet lingering injury rules out of it. So, yeah. Hell yeah. So, I want to know some Felix lore. First of all, I, I know some <laughs> stuff about you based on just stuff like hanging out with Dingo from time to time. She's mentioned a few things. But I kind of want to know, like, you are not you were not born in canada right you moved here with your family that's right i'm actually um so i'm born in germany and i moved to canada when oh, i think when i was 13 so i i came into like grade eight in canada wow yeah so that was quite the adventure <laughs> moving yeah. continents for sure for sure um yeah and i, I imagine i imagine you adjusted well it seems like you I've kind of made a life in Canada. Do you like plan on, I guess, I wonder, have you visited Germany that much since or? Only once. Like, um, I, okay, I guess the first and foremost, I should say, I love Canada. I'm here to stay. <laughs> I'm actually working on my dual citizenship at the moment. But oh, nice. um, so I visited Germany once just to visit family over there and some old friends and um, just kind of reaffirm my decision of like, Germany's great, but I'm definitely going to stay in Canada. <laughs> I just For like it sure. a lot better here. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of uh, uh, challenges that came with it. I mean, luckily, I'm an extrovert, so I was able to make friends pretty quickly. And when you move to another country, the language barrier is not not that bad. It only lasts for about, I don't know, like a month to a year, depending on what kind of person you are, because being submersed in another language, you pick it up real quick. I mean, I knew all the swears from my classmates in the first day. <laughs> like, they, they, it's like, do, do you know what, you know, what, what shit means? And it's like, no, I don't know what it means. Tell me. Of course I know what it means. I had English in Germany. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's also something. You studied English before you came to Canada. So you already had a bit of a, a jumping off platform and you were young. So like... <laughs> Like picking it up was probably a lot easier than it would be like later in life, I imagine. Definitely, it was. It's funny though because in, I am when I was learning uh, English in Germany, where it's a mandatory subject starting grade five. Um, mm -hmm. When I like the year I left Germany and moved to moved to Canada, my grade in English was a C minus. So I wasn't exactly confident in my language abilities, but it changed pretty quick once I moved. Yeah. I, yeah, I I lived in China for two years, and we had like ten weeks of intensive language training, and then before that, I had taken classes in college, and even then, I never I the barrier was so 
hard to get past. Like, oh, I imagine. Yeah, I, I've I've had to have like drunk conversations in taxis with taxi drivers who want to know everything about me and where I'm from and stuff in Chinese, Ooh. and do my best to like not sound like a complete idiot and make an ass of myself and i don't know how successful i was but man <laughs> but i mean genuinely when you are sorry generally when you give it like your best shot as a foreigner typically people appreciate it you know they're mm -hmm. not going to make fun of you yeah and also they weren't speaking german to you so you kind of there wasn't much of a your sanctuary was probably like your ho home right like going home and talking to your parents and stuff like you yep. could then speak german there but like if you're spending eight hours a day with a bunch of English-speaking kids, you're gonna have to pick it up because it's just gonna feel crazy not to, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like I said, I'm extroverted. I wanted to make friends and hear mm -hmm. uh, all the stuff that, well, they were talking about behind my back, probably, you know, I wanted to know. <laughs> um, yeah, I imagine I was, you were probably well-liked. Yeah, it was, it was fun to be the, uh, like, the tall German kid, because, um, like, you know, in Germany in school, when you get a new kid, it's like, oh, the new kid, Ugh. you know, and here in Canada, it's like, holy shit, it's the new kid. Let's hang out with him. You know, it's a totally different <laughs> vibe here. Well, also, and you're like a foreign exchange student, except you're here to stay, sort of. So it's like more exciting because it's not just like a new kid from Canada. It's a new kid from across the Atlantic Ocean, you know. Yeah, I'm Which, like I'm considered like exotic goods exotic, in the classroom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it was it was fun to have a lot of people to say like, "Hey, do you want to hang out? Hey, do you want to hang out?" And oh god, yeah. I mean, I was extroverted, but I was also damn shy about it because it's just like there's a whole lot of language I don't understand. Yeah, and you're worried about being judged too. Like you, you're like you said, you wanted to make friends as a kid. It's sort of terrible. I moved from just one elementary school to another from like second to third grade and i had some friends in second grade i lost everything in third grade and i i barely made like two friends by the end of the year ah oh, um, yeah yeah and like i was i was very much not extroverted so it's like that move pretty much wrecked me um yeah. i can't imagine for introverts essentially like when they make a move like that especially when it's like it's such a such a huge transition, but it it is a huge transition, and it's not without its downfalls. I mean, as as much as I like my life here more, um, there are some mental challenges too. Like to this day, and honestly, like this is the year when I'm really starting to just kind of say, like I'm like to tackle this problem. To this day, I feel like um, an outsider. You know, it's just like like ah uh, yeah you know they're just being nice to me or like ah uh, you know they probably don't really like me that much which mm -hmm. is i know is nonsense because i have genuinely good friends but i can't help but have that creep into my head sometimes yeah so it, it it's tough extroverted or not it's it's a tough thing i and, still uh, feel like some people that i talk to on the regular don't like me that much like it's still like that little voice in the back of my head that's just like they tolerate your existence because you have mutual interests or they they like you to a point but they're never going to be best friends with you and like even if some of that might be true it's still like a very poisonous negative like voice that can kind of creep in yeah it's it's tough and then you just have to you know remind yourself of genuinely nice interactions you've had with people and then it's it helps for sure for sure honestly you being excited to be on this show is a pretty big ego boost 
because it's like <laughs> it's i funny because it's an ego boost for me too <laughs> <laughs> oh because you're the guest yeah 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 for sure um well okay let's let's keep let's keep talking about your origin story i want to know how how did you discover D or role-playing games like how did that come about uh okay let's oh god when was that see now i wish i could quickly ask dingo because she's really good at remembering dates and i can't, I can't remember them for shit but i think it was around grade should be around grade 10 that we started to play which would have been in 2010 or 2009 2010 when i started playing okay and uh it was just a friend and they had someone in their family that was playing D&D &D and say, like, hey, I got all these books. You guys want to give this a try? And we're just like, isn't that like for nerds or something? Wait, <laughs> we are nerds. Let's play it. <laughs> Wait a second. What am I saying? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we tried it and it was an absolute disaster because uh, uh, none of us knew what they were doing. Like the DM had no clue and like we didn't have a clue and... Oh, it was just a disaster, but we had so much fun and we laughed so hard. Because, you know, it's like you're suddenly given this game and you get that first reaction of like, wait, I can do this? I can do anything? <laughs> and um, you get that you get that delightful power trip with every player and, of course, the DM, too. And as you can just explore. But, you know, like first session, we uh, I think we started PvP within like the first 10 minutes and then a single goblin killed all of us. And we had to have like a DMPC step in and save us. It was just a shit show. Oh, but God. we. We liked it, and um, most of our friend group stuck with it, and we just kept playing, because we are just like, hey, you want to do another one, Sick? Yeah, I'm down for another one, you know, let's, let's go play another yeah. one. Yeah, because there's always that prospect of a better time in the next one, you know, like, especially if the one that you played was a bit disappointing. It's like, it, 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 the, the fact that role-playing appeals to that sense of wonder and, like, uh... I guess like the this desire to like t oh excuse me too much coffee um <laughs> this desire to like tell a good story when the story is it's like when you watch a bad show and you're like that show sucked you don't stop watching shows mm -hmm. you you want to watch a better show because you want to like scratch that itch of I want a good story to sink my teeth into and What's intoxicating about role playing, right, is like you get to direct the story. Like you are a character, you make the decisions and change the course of where it goes. Yeah. And it's also random. You don't, it's not like writing a novel where you have to make all these perfect decisions. Like, no, you can have this amazing, you describe this amazing front flip, backstab move, and it's like that one. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there you go. Work with it. Yeah. You know, it, it throws off your your pretty polished game and brings just a little bit more realism and chance into it, which keeps you on your toes. Honestly, I think one of the ways I've described it in the past, I haven't done this in a while, but essentially it if you remember when you were a kid and you used to play pretend with other kids yeah, and like maybe cops and robbers and someone would be like, bang, bang, you're dead. And the other person's like, no, I'm not. And then you have like a fight about, I shot you. No, you didn't. I dodged it. I did this or whatever. So the cool thing about D&D &D is it's a literally that, but you have a rule system everyone respects. And then you've got uh, the the randomness of the dice that allows it so that nobody gets favoritism. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. At least if, if you have a good DM who's like impartial, no one should be getting favoritism. It's just the dice fall where they may, you know? Yeah. Heart of the dice. <laughs> 
Yeah. And also for me, D&D um, didn't like there's, of course, the itch of just having an adventure and telling a good story. But the thing is, um, my dream since I've been like uh, right at the same time, I mean, since I was like, what, 15 or so, I've always wanted to make video games. I was just like, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, this is going to be my calling. I want to make video games. Absolutely. When I get older. And D&D comes along and it's just like, hey, you can make video games with all without all that really difficult work that you haven't learned yet. And you can kind of <laughs> just practice early, you know, you can tell a good story. You can make mechanics and a world. And it's just like, oh, yes, let's go. So it, yeah. it's itching that that game dev itch you, because I still get to be creative and you, you still have to balance combat you still have to design encounters and monsters so yeah. you get to do all the fun stuff there's still uh, plenty of stuff and prep work you can do to make the game feel immersive like yeah we're gonna this this game i was describing the chris Estrada one uh we're gonna be doing our first session when we all meet up uh later uh in let's see wow holy crap that's actually only like a couple weeks away from from the <laughs> recording of this that's kind of scary um but we're going to be doing our first session in person. So, like, of course I bought, can like, electric candles that I could change the color of uh, for the occasion. And, of course, I'm going to be, like, printing out maps and stuff. Like, it was there even a question of that, right? Yeah. You know, it's not like it's not work. It's just I don't have to go to college for six years to learn how to code. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's and it's. I guess the the key word is accessibility. Everyone that has imagination can play this game. And mm -hmm. as long as you enjoy it, that, that that's all you got to do. There's no requirements. You don't like the math is doable as long as you know your basic pluses and minuses. You know, you don't have to be a, a genius and you don't have to know all this knowledge of like coding and art and stuff. Mm -hmm. Not not that it doesn't help you. I mean, obviously making art for D&D is super helpful. But yeah, and, and he, I also want to say too, like some I I play with some people who just aren't good with the math portion. They like their head starts to spin with that stuff, uh, even if it is like relatively simple because it's not in a con context that they're like used to. It's not like making change or like doing something that affects their. Some people like essentially, I'm appealing to people who are a bit neurodivergent, maybe um, who like maybe aren't very good at mathematics or like they are okay at it, but they're slow and they can't like on the fly come up with like these calculations. Totally fine. I I think that to hook people like that, focusing on the story element and the choose your own adventure and the camaraderie and social elements, like that's the, st that's like the key for that. Um, yeah. And then there's also just, and this is this is a sad thing, but there are some people who just aren't going to be into it. Um, oh, yeah. I remember I was working as a bar, not a bartender. Wow. This person was a bartender and I was a server and they were asking because I was talking about Dungeons and Dragons to another coworker and they were asking like what it's about. And I'm like, uh, it's a really fun social game that you play with friends where essentially you tell a collaborative story together. Um, and in order to kind of keep a sense of fairness, you use dice to determine the outcome to make sure that, like, you know, no one's really getting favoritism. Uh, and the fantasy is generally fantasy, but it can be also like sci-fi or whatever you want it to be. And they gave me this look. I felt like that was a very, you know, bare bones, very succinct, like, description. 
That is the best pitch for D&D I've heard. Yeah, without getting too into it, right? And they yeah. gave me this look of like, what? And I'm like, okay, that's a bad sign. And I, so I was like, let me put it another way. It's kind of like watching a show on TV, right? And the show can be whatever your group of friends want it to be. It can be like a sitcom or it could be like Game of Thrones. It could be uh, super you know, gritty and dramatic or however, however you want. But essentially, you and your friends play the characters in the show that you get to make and choose for yourself and interact with everybody else as your characters. And then one person is sort of like the director and the uh, the extras and like the villains. They get to play everybody else. They sort of like kind of run the world and every week is like an episode right and every arc mm. uh, story is like a season um yeah. so you meet up with friends to kind of act out the show and i thought hey man if that first one didn't get them that second one was pretty good that's gotta get them no they were like that sounds weird i'm like i guess it's just not for you then but i have a lot of fun playing it and uh if you ever have the chance you should honestly consider giving it a shot it's easier to understand if you're there in person um, yeah and i hope that she does give it a shot at some point but man she was like looking at me like i was speaking a different language and i'm oh, like no. I, I don't know like how better i can make it but maybe you know you also i guess have to accept some people just aren't going to be into it um yeah. and that's okay yeah it is okay i mean on, I gotta, I gotta commend you. That is one hell of an awesome way to explain D and D to someone, to someone who has no idea about it. Well done. But um, I definitely got the other person I was talking to interested. Yeah, <laughs> so the, that was kind of nice. The thing is also, um, there is some people, and I've only met very few of them, but there is some people who genuinely have no imagination, and that's not to say that they suck or something, but it's just no, it, like they don't have the the interest or the capacity to think of something from scratch like that. They just yeah. can't do it. Yeah, you know what? I think Dingo t told me about this person you might be referencing, actually. Oh. Um, yes, yes, maybe. If I'm not if I'm not completely mistaken and just making that up. But, uh, you know, no shade on people who operate like that. Everyone's got a different sort of... Look, I'm not into rock climbing. I'm not going to say that rock climbing, ne I'll never do it and that it's not for me ever. It's just more like it doesn't really appeal to me. And if someone who is into rock climbing gives me a really solid pitch and I'm still kind of like doesn't sound for me, that doesn't mean I think that they're stupid for liking rock climbing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and like same for people who just don't feel like it's for them. It's like, that's okay. You know, you your strengths are in other areas and your interests are in other areas. And that's fine. Yeah, totally. Also, uh, I, I'm pretty sure Dingo probably told you this, but talking about, you know, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes you have to get people who aren't so strong in the numbers into the game. When we first started playing D&D, &D, Dingo, well, not to say she hated it, but she really didn't like it because <laughs> we played 3.5 to its full mathematical glory. And that was not her jam at all. <laughs> yeah. So we actually got her into it way later when we started to go heavier on story. And she's just like, hold up. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Once so. that's that's the thing. It's crazy the transformation it takes, because when I started playing my first character, um, I made an animation about and 
he like I didn't know what I was doing. I, I I looked at cleric because they my friends said they needed a cleric for the group. I was like, okay. And I looked at the domains and there was like a storm domain or tempest domain, essentially, but for like, you know, 3.5. I was like, oh, this seems mm-hmm. kind of cool. Um and I took that and I was so low level that there was actually nothing in that domain that I could use right away that was like cool. So I was sort of like this uninspired character. And you can even hear in the animation, I made the decision to make the character that I played voiced just by my normal voice because I didn't know who this character was or how to play them. They basically had almost no backstory that I remember. Um, and I was like, not, I didn't, I wasn't feeling it. So when they died, it was a blessing because I learned more about the game in the interim and I learned you can be a necromancer. And I was like, now that calls to me. I could, I feel like I, so many <laughs> cool stories can be told uh, about a character who can raise the dead. And yeah. like, I was kind of obs- low key obsessed, still low key obsessed about it. So my next <laughs> character was a, uh, a cleric, but with the, um, like a subclass of undead Lord. Uh, and in Pathfinder, Getting your first, like, undead minion is way easier than it is in um, 5th edition. 5th edition, it's like, you have to wait until you're, like, level 5 to get animate dead. And then you have to keep casting animate dead to keep control over it. Where it's like, at 3rd level, I had a class feature for my undead lord where I could have a corpse companion. Kind of like an animal companion, but it's a zombie or skeleton. And its strength is based on my level. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so immediately I can do it. And Animate Dead is a second level spell in that game. So it's like I could I could raise a couple skeletons right out the gate. So that's what I did. Like when I was introduced to the rest of the party, I had two skeleton. I had a I had a skeleton corpse companion and then I had another skeleton I had used Animate Dead on. And I've got like this, you know, Doctor Strange call. I look, I've, you know, I've got the like the facial hair, too. I've got I'm wielding a big ass scythe. I look evil as fuck. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm, I don't mean no harm. I'm actually on the run from some goblins. Uh, I, I'd actually like to help you guys escape from here if that's okay. Uh, and it was, you know, we became friends after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good story. <laughs> yeah. But like, oh. then I got into the rules, right? So like, yeah. when you're talking about like, uh, Dingo wasn't into like the rules of the math of it until... Like the story became like enrapturing enough, and then she was like, "Oh, this is fucking tight, right?" Yeah, that same happened to me. Same thing. Then I was like looking up feats. I was looking up uh, what I could do, like the trajectory of my character. Like, what could I do in the next level up that might make my character even more effective? Like, mm-hmm. I got super into the optimization aspects of it because I wanted my character to do well, and also. My character had really abysmal stats. We rolled for stats and I rolled kind of low. So I was like, I got to I got to make sure my character don't die. You know? Yeah. Um, You just start reading through all the books and just making sure like you plan your build out like for the next five to ten levels. Oh, for sure. And now I do that on the regular for fifth edition because it's an easier system by the numbers. So like I'll come up with an idea and my knowledge of different classes and how to multi-class with them. I'll think. Could I make a character that can see in the dark better than any other character in the game? Yeah, like, challenge builds. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, am I trying to break the game? Not really, but I'm trying to do some janky shit that makes my character really funny or cool in a specific, specific way, right? So, like, I made a recently, like, for that build... 
if I were to take a level of Twilight Domain Cleric, you get um you get dark vision up to uh 300 feet more than any other character in the game <laughs> holy shit yeah and i think you can you have something called vigilant blessing where you can get like advantage on um uh, initiative roles and you can give that to somebody else so like that's kind of neat yeah i'm like all right well that's good but what else could we do i look at gloomstalker ranger i'm like gloomstalker either gives you 60 feet of dark vision or extends your existing dark vision by 30 feet. So I'm like, I have 300. I can make it 330. <laughs> so yes. let's do that. And then Gloomstalker also gives you, um, uh, basically, Dread Ambusher allows you to be invisible in uh, darkness to any creature that relies on dark vision to see you, which is most creatures who see you in darkness, right? So... <laughs> that is an amazing thing i can see them but they can't see me right so that's four levels uh that i'd have to dedicate and then i'm like well what else could i do i'm like i, I could keep going in ranger or keep going in cleric but if i really want to be like one with the night maybe i could do shadow monk because with shadow monk you can teleport in shadows you can cast darkness pass the trace silence and uh, another thing using key points. Um, there's a lot of like a lot of shadow <laughs> abilities, and you get really fast movement, and it's also wisdom based. All three of these are wisdom based classes, so it's like that's actually a viable build that works with the mechanics of the game that would allow me to see really well in the dark, be pretty much invisible in the dark in darkness, and do a lot of shit just in dark in the dark. The only other thing I would need that I'm like. What if someone casts darkness and I can't see through it? I guess I'll take a feat for the Eldritch Invocation Devil Sight so that I can make sure that no matter what kind of darkness there is, I can goddamn see through it. Oh, it's so good. Right? And um, I am the darkness. Right. I could even take Blind Sight as a fighting style, as a ranger, just to make sure that if anything happens where I need to be able to see someone next to me, I can do it whether they're invisible or not. <laughs> you know, like, there's just, that's that's fun to me. And then the next part is like, now, how do I make this make sense? Right? Because this is shenanigans for sure. But it's not overpowered shenanigans. It's more like I'm super good at being in the dark and that's about all i'm really good at i'm kind of spread thin on other stuff i'm not gonna outclass the person who just goes straight paladin and smites for a billion damage right like i'm just very good at like one specific thing and kind of like adaptable to different situations so how do i make that make sense that's then you make a story or a backstory that can kind of incorporate that stuff and then hopefully if you're playing something like that the the actual story of the game like makes it all sort of come together right yeah but um <laughs> god yeah. then yeah. you start also adding like flaws you know it's like yeah uh they have a sun aversion or something like that mm -hmm. or you make them vampiric too like you can you can really play with that you can do yeah so much that you can do with that uh and i just i love that build yeah it, it's like it doesn't like why why would i need all of those darkness sight abilities like why is that necessary and me my response is shrug i don't know it's just cool and they are they complement each other also yeah i get really high initiative just 
because of the Vigilant Blessing and Gloomstalker has a thing where you add your Wisdom to your initiative. So, like, I can have Advantage and Wisdom, both of those, pretty good, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe eventually I'll take good. the Alert feat, too, just for even higher initiative, and I'll never be surprised. So I'm even <laughs> more good in the darkness, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, no, that that's a fucking rock solid build. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah. I love it also because it's it's like it's literally min maxing in a different way because you're certainly maxed out in the darkness. But, you know, when it, when you're out, I don't know, on the plane of fire or something or just out in sunlight, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of a guy. Yeah, it's very alert. <laughs> and and it's it's fun, too, for the um. Dep- it also depends on what game you're playing, right? Because this is someone who's all about the darkness. You're playing. What's primarily like 15 or 16 levels of uh, Shadow Monk, which is Ninja. And then you've got some wisdom-based uh, other classes with the Gloomstalker Ranger and just a Twilight Domain one-level dip in Cleric. With, with four levels of Ranger and one level of Cleric, the way multiclassing goes is because Ranger's a half-caster, every two levels gives you another increase in your spell slots. Mm-hmm. One of the cool things about the third increase in spell slots is you go from... Two first level spells at level one, three first level spells at level two. Suddenly you've got six spells at level three with four first level and two second level. Like Mm. you double the amount of spell slots you have available, which even later levels like that's pretty damn fine. Right. And then if I've got key points that allow me to cast other, you know, stealth shit, you know, I'm I'm doing all right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I it makes me think of the um the way you could build out like your your character in 3.5 because there was um you have of course you had the prestige classes which I really enjoyed oh yeah but also um the way that there's like like feats that have prerequisite feats so you could actually build up to more powerful abilities after you unlock like three other abilities mm-hmm. I really enjoyed those kind of builds because then you're really sitting down like okay not only am I gonna plan like an interesting character. But at the same time, I want to make sure that over the next 10 levels, I kind of choose the right path for them to like to like get that awesome power that I want. You know, what was it called? Like, oh shit, I forget the name. I built a Duskblade to just be a... Um, fuck, what's, what's the name for it? Basically, she would just run up to you, hit you, and then keep sprinting past you. And that's just oh. the way that she would always attack. She kept getting in range and out of range without <laughs> causing any attacks of opportunity. She's like Alucard in the uh, season finale for season two of uh, Castlevania, where he's just like going past Dracula, doing like these hit and run swipes. Yeah, exactly. It was hit and run. Yeah, hit and run. That's the name. Damn it. <laughs> so obvious. Run. Yeah, it was hit and run. Yeah, awesome. it was, it's fun to do those kinds of builds, definitely. But I also just love doing stupid builds where you where I, I like to challenge myself. Like, it's like, okay, for example, the 3.5 vanilla paladin, it sucks. <laughs> Straight up, it sucks. It's, <laughs> you kind of have like maybe, you know, the first six levels, maybe the first 10 levels where you have some really neat abilities and then it just blows. And in addition to that, for role play during that time, I'd always see like, the paladins being kind of like the buzzkill of the party. You know, that'd be like, no rogue, no stealing, you know, swiper, no swiping. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, well, this is like, it's not fun because the paladin is just being a naysayer. And I, I'd see that a lot. So yeah. my whole thing of like, okay, well, Felix, what character do you want to play? I'm like, 
I'm going to play a paladin that doesn't suck. That's like, okay. <laughs> paladin and, that uh, doesn't suck. Yeah, or that's not, that's not boring, you know? Uh, I ended up building... Well, okay, because I, I suck like that. I actually kept him a pure paladin. I actually uh, didn't multi-class him. Instead, I started building into like different feats and different items. And this is the one that did... Oh, God, it was like... During a boss fight, uh, basically whenever I fought anything evil, because, you know, paladins get, like, their smite and whatnot, the, his damage would just go exponentially bigger. And I think eventually, using just vanilla abilities, nothing homebrew, I was able to do, like, a thousand damage on the initial strike of an evil creature. Um, and wow. Yeah, just just straight up vanilla. Like, I tried not to homebrew him too much, because I wanted to actually explore the 3.5 paladin and uh it's it's a lot of fun to do those things just like i just call them little challenge builds just like well let's see if i can you know solve this problem or kind of can i play this character but with this caveat to it like that kind of thing yeah yeah i think that's that's a fun way to to do it because what you're you're like you said it's like a problem that needs to be solved right yeah um in some and, ways and not, oh sorry no, I was just saying, and it's not like I'm saying, like, oh, I'm going to set out and, like, fix the paladin in a way. It's more like, no, I just want to kind of see what I can do with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I've i noticed that there are some classes that I don't care for in 5e um, because the way that they're built, I've played them and I find them boring because they don't have the options I'm looking for compared to other classes, right? One of my favorites is wizard because wizards get their full casters, right? Um, mm -hmm. They get an amazing spell list and no two wizards are going to be the same. You could build wizards out to be completely different, but <clears throat> there is a, a bit of a, um, a trouble that comes with getting to level three or level five rather, because when you get third level spells, it's almost stupid not to take counter spell and maybe either haste or fly or dispel magic obviously yeah and those those are so good that to do anything else feels like you as a player it feels wrong and i don't like it i don't like the feeling of of t not taking the, the 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 best quote unquote spells fireball is another one that everyone loves to grab at their level right yeah. like and yeah. I have to really kind of center myself and be like, I am going to play a specific concept for wizard that's not going to be the right, quote unquote, way to play wizard. Because yes. that's boring and everybody does that and I want to be different and do something fun. Same with um, any sort of like magic fighter type character. Everyone just uses Booming Blade and Green Flame Blade. The, the bread and butter are those two cantrips. I hate them. I absolutely hate them because, what like, there's not really a way to flavor them. I mean, Flame Blade, you could just change the color of the fire, I guess. I guess, yeah. You know, Booming Blade is like... I, it's, I struggle to figure out how am, am I going to make this thunder damage makes sense for like a character it's just it's such a it's a weird spell right yeah 
So, like, I generally just, if I'm going to make a magic fighter, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, like, not rely on those because everyone relies on those. I'm going to try to do some other thing, uh, even if it means that I, I'm not going to be as effective. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I take something interesting over something effective any day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and I, I've said this before, but I'm not trying to say that, like, staple spells are bad you know like counterspell fireball shield magic missile like those are all fine because it's kind of easy to flavor them however you want magic missile could literally be anything you want it to be what are you firing are you firing like if you're a necromancer magic missile could be like spectral finger bones that like fire out you know yeah or like um shield can look like anything you need it to look like uh you know, shield yeah, like, is just like it's like a basic thing that's just good to have um, and can be flavored to whatever kind of wizard you're playing or whatever kind of spellcaster, rather. Mm-hmm. I, I'm on a bit of a tangent here, but I guess what I'm trying to say to kind of bring it back is that there are some classes where you are by default not, in my opinion, it's it's kind of not that great to play. Unless you do something to make it fun to play. Like, yeah, let's look at the warlock, for example. Uh, my first 5e character was a warlock. He was sort of like a devilish Batman. He wore a mask and he called himself Red. So it was like kind of like a code name. And the reason he did that and he hid his real name was because his his family, his wife and child, were kidnapped while he was away and uh, were sacrificed by a cult of uh worshipers of asmodeus to you know to the to their god he was able to kill the cult like he like tracked them down to where this uh, vile ritual was happening killed the cult members as a, a visage of asmodeus was summoned and looked at red uh and who's just you know a man and he was just like give me back my wife and daughter and he's like well, they're mine now, like, they've been given to me, but I am the god of deals. Maybe we can make a deal for their souls to return to you. Mm-hmm. And so I became a warlock of the fiend, not because I'm a bad dude, but because I want my family returned safely. So I'm forced to do things I don't want to do for Asmodeus because I'm trying to rescue my family, and I know that even though he's a piece of shit, he is a god of law. And so, like, he will stay, stick to his word if I serve him for a long enough amount of time. But because I don't want people to know it's me, I wear the mask and I go by red and I'm like a Batman, <laughs> right? Yeah. What a fun concept, right? Like, that's a cool story uh, for a character. But then you've got the mechanics of the Warlock class where you only get two spells per short rest. And if your DM doesn't give you those short rests, well, you're just casting Eldritch Blast a lot, yep. and that's kind of all you're doing. Yeah. And that's not very fun and gets kind of boring, which is a reason why a lot of people multi-class out of Warlock. Yeah. Now, I didn't really know we could do that in, for my first character, so I was just going straight Warlock, and, you know, I was having more things to do, but it was, it was one of the downsides of that class in particular, where it felt... Even though I was in it for the roleplay, I didn't know this system, I couldn't metagame it that hard, like, 
I was just playing what felt right to play, and I was still underwhelmed by the class. Yeah, it feels stale. Yeah. So, I guess the point, this long belabored point I'm making, (laughs) is that sometimes it's okay to focus on mechanics of something and make it do the most for you as a person, as a player, so that while you're in the game, you have things you can do even if they're not going to, like, deal a thousand damage in one hit, like your cool Duskblade or, or, I'm sorry, your Paladin could do. You know, having options and things that you're able to do means you don't feel useless. It feels like you have a bit of control over what is around you, and it makes it so that you're satisfied. It's a satisfaction thing, really. It's being able to have answers for certain things. doesn't mean you have to do everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like... I was a warlock of the fiend. I didn't really have healing spells. I'm not going to be healing people. And, you know, that's just something I can't really do. But if I really wanted to do that, I could take the healer feet or, you know, Mm -hmm. get just proficiency in healers kits or something like there were things I could have done. I just decided I wanted to do a different thing. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that you have to do everything. I'm just saying that having more than just what your class offers you, especially if it's very limited sorcerers another great example all those spell slots and no spells to cast yeah (laughs) i i absolutely despise what they did to sorcerer yeah they did them dirty and and then and what makes me even more mad and i've i mentioned this in the i think the last episode they released two subclasses for tasha's that give them bonus spells per level up to like fifth level spells Mm -hmm. meaning they went from 15 spells, period, to 25 spells. <laughs> that's not insignificant. And that's not fair to the other subclasses. If you're going to do that for these new classes, you have to give more spells <laughs> so to these other classes. It's not okay to leave them as they are because they. why would I ever play anything else yeah. if I was going to do a sorcerer? Uh. Anyway, sorry. I now I'm just griping on that, but essentially what I'm saying is that it's okay to do that if because sometimes things don't perform well enough to be fun. It's not even well enough to be broken. It's just well enough to be fun for the game. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, it should all serve to make the game more fun for everyone. At the end of everything, it's like that's always the goal. Make people enjoy right. it. I think. A lot of my homebrew for this next game exists specifically so that people don't feel like they have to multi-class. Mm. Like I, I released, I think I might have posted it somewhere, uh, maybe in, in one of our Discord servers, but like I made, I redid all the sorcerer subclasses to match the power of the new ones that came out. Ooh. Yeah. I could send you uh, some of the documents I'm using for my homebrew stuff, just if you want to look them over. Because again, this, it's, it better still be on the screen, that seal of approval. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, yeah, yeah. Because like, I felt like it was a bit of an injustice. So in my game, I offered people, if anyone wanted to play Sorcerer, they have access to this, expa- like, this altered, none of them nerf any of the Sorcerer classes. They only expand. They give pre-selected spells based on the bloodline to those sorcerers just like you would 
for the aberrant mind or the clockwork soul, right? Mm. J- same same deal. The only one that isn't quite the same was divine soul because you get to you get a whole new spell list with the divine soul. Yeah. So I gave them one bonus spell and it was based on the alignment that they chose. So essentially whatever alignment you chose, you have to stick with that progression. But a lot of that stuff is already on the cleric list. So it's like it kind of takes some of the weight off of you having to pick the best cleric spells. Like you get a few just from the alignment that you you picked. Yeah. I feel I don't know. I felt like that was fair. Yeah. <laughs> and I just wish they would do that. And in... the official. Yeah. yeah. I feel like uh, I should one day just do a game. Uh, just a one shot and I'll just get like five people to just play all sorcerers and I'll give them like we'll play with my homebrew rules in 3.5 of like here's the entire spell list go have fun (laughs) we're just gonna see the chaos that unfolds Uh, I want to play I want to play play a game DM by you because it sounds like it's a lot of fun and also uh, very lethal which is is both that's both of the things I really like yeah (laughs) no it's it's um it's fair and it's deadly. And people that I've been playing with so far really dig it because I'm not unfair. You know, I, I, I like to subvert expectations, but I don't like to bitch slap you across the face and you not knowing why it happened. Yeah, but, for uh, sure. If we play a game together in like in 3.5, what I'll do is I'll, I'll send you my secret app that I made for it. I made my own spell app that has like... Oh, actually, let me check. I have... Are you serious? You just said that you're like, oh, I don't, I want, I like, I don't want to code and make video games. So I went into this and then you learned to make an app. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. When I said <laughs> that is like, I can just start D&D early while I learn to code. Actually, I'm a pretty damn good coder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. And this app, I just double checked. Uh, I have 4,700 3.5 spells in here. They're of every single supplement that's ever been made for 3.5. Oh, oh, for the official uh, official supplements that came out for 3.5. Oh, no, no. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I think all the official ones, or at least the ones that are kind of, like, vetted. So okay. all of those that are kind of commonly accepted are in here. And nice. I, I mean, I can't publish it because I'm breaking, like, I don't know, 50 copyrights at once if I do that. So I just use it for <laughs> it's, myself. It's a per- yeah, personal use only. Very gotcha. personal app. But I don't mind you taking a look at it and just kind of enjoy the chaos that's contained I, within. I would love to take a, a look at that. Is, does it have a good search function? Yeah, it does. I mean, fairly good. But uh, it, it lets you find your spells pretty quickly. Because um, I hate it. Like, I, I was gripe when I have casters at a table and then they sit there for 10 minutes on their turn trying to figure out a spell to cast. And it's like, no, nah, we got to speed that up. For sure. Yeah. yeah. When I played in person, I used to have index cards uh, Ooh, that would yeah, write totally. stuff down. Especially when I was a necromancer too, because I was like, I, I appreciate the fact that my DM is allowing me to have a posse of skeletons follow us around everywhere. I will do him the good turn of writing down the statistics of my spell skeletons on spell card or on on index card so he doesn't have to keep track of any of that shit that it's on me and I can just I can do my resource management myself. The only thing he has to do is like let me know if I'm able to raise something like if it's weak enough that I could raise or something like that. Yeah. Same thing with like spell spell uh spells that I commonly use I'll have like bookmarked, you know, mm-hmm. so that I can quickly get back to it uh in discord a lot of uh servers that i'm in have um 
apps or like bots that you can do spell searches on. Oh, nice. Yeah, there was one when I was playing Curse of Strahd, there was one called Avray, like A-V-R-A-E. And it had everything from uh, core like base rules to Xanathar's Guide, which came out during that time. Mm. It was it was so useful. We could look up anything and then D&D Beyond caught wind of it and put the kibosh on that and now it's like it's good for rolling dice but not much else ah yeah damn it's it's a bummer i not to look wizards if you're listening i'm not trying to speak ill of your system of DD beyond that's fine i just i'm sad because i didn't have money for it at the time and it and and that's why i'm i'm sad that's all yeah what you're doing is fine Sponsor me, please. <laughs> Sponsor, please. Sponsor, please. Uh, yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah, like, man, I, I really went on a rant there. No, it's, <sighs> it's good, though. Get it, get it all out. <laughs> I'm looking at this coffee like, you are ruining this interview. You are making me talk too much. Uh, <laughs> let's, let me ask, uh... A little bit more because I I know people want to hear more about you and like obviously there's questions about the fool's gold campaign that we could ask but I think you've answered a lot already like you've had Q&A's in the past yeah Um, there's there's always new questions that pop up I try to answer them as I can without obvious spoilers at least right I feel like asking too much would just get into spoiler territory so I'm gonna I'm gonna not do that I'm gonna say people want to ask you questions about that they should like I don't know Maybe tag you on Twitter and maybe you'll get back to him. Maybe you won't. Maybe you're too busy. I don't know. Or I guess if you hang out on the Twitch stream. Sorry, I don't stream often. But when you do, I'm always happy to talk about it, too. Yes. Let's let's mention that real quick. You are on Twitch. What is your Twitch handle again? It's Twitch handle is Final Boss Felix. And currently I stream every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific. And sometimes I do an extra stream or so, but it it's just depends on the schedule. Writing a campaign setting while running a business is taking a lot of time out of me. <laughs> yes, I imagine that's a lot. And you're you're working on you. Yes, yeah, so you got stuff behind the curtain that you're working on, and you got to stream every <laughs> Tuesday. And you're like, your family has a business too that you're like helping run. Yep. So that that's a lot to have on, on one's plate. Yeah. But I like to be busy. Here's a question. How do you how do you manage your time? Like, <laughs> like what are some tricks? Because I have trouble with time management. I have like ADHD and I get distracted kind of easy. So like what would you say like is a tip that you could give people to help like consolidate time? Yeah, better? I mean, that's a big topic. Um, and honestly, I'm still trying to learn. I'm trying to get a bit better. My first step was um, just blocking distractions on my computer. So like, God, I can I waste sometimes like three hours just reading bullshit on Reddit. And it's just like, what am I doing with my life? And so I blocked like Reddit, blocking Twitter sometimes. And like, um, I mean, I don't go on Facebook anymore. And YouTube, just kind of blocking your obvious distractions can help you focus. And otherwise, I mean, just kind of figure out what your priorities are. And then set some time aside for them you know if you want to work out well then make sure you like you know do it at the same time every week so you don't uh you don't think like when am i gonna do this 
I don't know. Eh, sometime. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's just making a schedule that you yourself are actually really happy with that makes you want to stick with it. Yeah, that I I I think that that's very good advice. I think it's a little hard for some, uh, including myself, just because. Me too. I know that like um, <clears throat> like my schedule's always in flux. Like I. Oh yeah. I haven't worked a big boy job in quite some time, and so I'm at home working on commissions, be it music or art, or I'm trying to work on animations i'm coming to, to the end of a burnout that i've been experiencing with a uh, peace guild mm. uh animation and stuff by trying to like do other animations um like short easy easy ones that i can kind of get out quickly and even with all that stuff i still feel like i'm juggling so much it's like every day i feel different like even if i wanted to schedule something up for a day sometimes it's just hard to even like i might have it open in the background, but like you said, getting rid of those distractions on my uh, screen it can be kind of hard. Uh, procrastination's a bitch, yeah. But it's it is hard, and the like the 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 easiest thing to help yourself is just, which is not not everybody can do this, but just try to work on stuff you really like because it's you know it's it's easier to schedule something you love than to schedule like shit you really hate <laughs> on a regular basis. For sure. Um. Yeah, but it's it's it can be hard and I don't succeed every day. There are days when I'm just like, I know I need to be writing right now, but brain says no. So I got to do Wait. something else. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me you're a human being? What? <gasps> what? God, jeez. <laughs> Uh, I had I was completely wrong about you. I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to end this podcast right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna edit this out, okay? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. But yeah. um, yeah, no, it's it, it can be difficult. I just I guess I kind of marvel because you you say it's a facade, but it it isn't. Don't be too modest. Like you you've got your shit together, and maybe a lot of that's probably a little bit of luck, you know, with just like your home life situation and and things like that. But like I'm not gonna say that you didn't work for what you have like you you're it seems like you work very hard i do and i really admire that that you can kind of keep it together even if you have your few off days like you're able to kind of get the shit going and like turn it into something that like benefits you in some way yeah and i mean it is important like you said to remember that everybody's human you know i don't care if you're some goddamn superhuman you're gonna have days when you're just like nah it's a couch day today <laughs> we're not doing shit <laughs> and uh yeah. for me i find um that it it's it's a fucking slog to try to get on top of your shit like if especially if you're you maybe you've been like in a depression or you you know if in your opinion you don't quite have your life together to the way you like it getting on top of it is really hard but once you're there, it's a lot easier to stay there and not let it get out of hand again than to, you know, get up there and then just letting it go. And then you have to climb up again. Like, it's kind yeah. of like saying once you're on top of your bills, it's easier to keep going. It's, it's similar to that. Um, but for me, sure. I just, I enjoy it. It's really long and short of it. I surround myself with work I enjoy doing and work that I hate doing. I try to make the best of it, get through it, and then, you know, if I can avoid it, I don't have to do it again. And 
that works. At least for me. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this doesn't work for everybody, but it, it works for me to keep everything going. And I like all of my stuff is in a big calendar and I schedule my times. You know, when am I doing this? When am I doing this other thing, including relaxing time? You know, you should put it in your calendar when this is like, do not fucking talk to me time. This is now. This is my time. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I've been trying to get better about that. I think I think a lot of the struggles I have, besides the fact that, you know, ADHD just makes it easy to get distracted, is like, there are so many things I want to do and not enough hours in the day and not enough attention span to devote myself to only one thing for a period of time that's meaningful, you yeah, know? Yeah, It's... <sighs> like... It's... Like, it's I, like... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, when people are like, there's not enough hours in the day, I would argue... Many times I would argue against it unless you have external influences like, oh, you know, you're like a single mother with three children where it's like, oh, you know what? I get it. There is not enough hours in the day for you. Mm -hmm. But it's you're right. It's the attention that can be really difficult to focus. And I mean, some people, they can't do it without some kind of meditation or medication. Like it, it depends. You have to see. Like, what's your kryptonite, and how can you get over it, if even? Yeah. It's... I think a lot of it is is the thing that I... It's kind of like a double-edged sword. I think Dungeons & Dragons is a big source of distraction for me. Um, <laughs> I mean... Personally. You, this is coming from the guy who's playing five games at the moment? Yes, maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, it's a bit of a distraction, and like... I'm kind of, the thing is, a, a lot of this is the only way that I keep in contact with certain groups of friends. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part of me that really loathes to lose touch with these folks because, you know, if, if, I, if I do, if I stop playing in these games, like, when am I going to speak to them again, right? Yeah. Like, they might not be otherwise very talkative people. And and maybe introverts themselves don't reach out that often. And so it it sucks because I don't want to give up on friendships that I've built over the past few years uh, or, or many years, uh, depending, um, just because I guess it just it just makes it a little bit difficult, I suppose. That's fair. Nobody wants to lose friendships. For sure. But I also I also think that like there's. A few games that I I could, like if they end, I might have to make a hard decision and just say, you know what, I'm not playing new games for a bit, and then make it a point to keep in contact with them outside of the game. Like, because that's another thing too is that a lot of friendships I built over the years were always built on the common denominator of like we have a mutual interest. Yes, you like Magic the Gathering, I like Magic the Gathering. We are friends now, right? Yeah. And that's and that's fun. Like you can have a lot of fun with that, but it's also kind of shallow. It's like if that's the only thing keeping us together, then maybe we're not as close of friends as we thought. And I have lost or lost touch with people over the years who I only knew in the context of we were nerds and played magic together um, or we played some other thing together. And like personality wise, we really weren't that close. And so. I might have to make a hard decision of like, I need to like sever this interest for my own time's sake, but try to keep in touch to see if we have more to this than just our 
mutual interests, right? Absolutely. And it's it's okay to have like it's okay to differentiate between good acquaintances and friends. There mm-hmm. is a difference and it is a real difference and that's okay. Like it's my parents when they told me about this cuz I I kind of had a bit of separation anxiety as a kid of like losing friends was the worst thing in the world for me. You know, I, I would always blame myself and it's like no. They were like Felix it's life is like a train, you know, like some, sometimes people jump on, they ride with you for 10 stations or 10 years, and then they jump off the train and then they might come back on the train later, you know, or, uh, you might, you meet new people that are like really rocking. And, um, that really helped me to, uh, to not freak out when that kind of stuff happened. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's not our fault life is life and sometimes people stick with you for a long ass time and become really good friends but it's just as okay to really enjoy a few weeks with this one person and say all right man i'm out it was a good time maybe we'll see each other again sometime yeah man what a sobering thing to sort of almost end this podcast on i uh (laughs) life lessons with (laughs) shane and felix yeah yeah I honestly like this was this whole podcast was very loosey goosey and off the cuff. I had no idea like where we were going to be going, mm-hmm. uh, other than I wanted to run homebrew stuff by you. But uh, I think this was really fun, and um, I think we're going to have to kind of wrap up here. But yeah, before we do, uh, where can people find you, Felix? Well, um, I am, the only social media I am on is on Twitter. Uh, at Felix Ernich, and you can also, of course, catch me on Twitch at least once a week on Tuesday, 8 p.m. PST at Final Boss Felix. And yeah, I mean, at the moment, that's the only two places you can find me because I've been very busy, uh, like working on stuff like the Fool's Gold campaign setting, which the Kickstarter is launching on October 12th. And I promise, once that book is done. You guys will hear a lot more from me. It's been taking up all my time. But once it's done, I'm going to be a lot more um, available, let's say it that way, and more out there. Hell yeah. October 12th, don't forget, on Kickstarter for the Fool's Gold campaign setting. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Thanks for being on, Felix. It was a joy. Thanks for having me on. This has been great. 